Hello, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of books on cycling, articles on pretty much every sport, and currently running in a whole lot of mud in Belgium. Uh, excuse me, I'm uh, Peter Glassford. I'm Molly's co-host here on the Consummate Athlete. I'm a kinesiologist, and uh, largely I work with cyclists and endurance athletes to help them move better or, or get over an injury or different things like that. So I'm very interested in obviously in this this concept of being a consummate athlete and learning to move in different ways so we have our q a episode we try and do this sort of once a month and we have some really great questions about trying some new sports transition into the off season um what else we got here some stuff about yoga uh no not about yoga about strength and conditioning but we'll get into that in a second uh, so we're we're recording this podcast at two in the afternoon, but it's actually still like eight a.m. back on the east coast uh, because we're actually over in Belgium for the month. Uh, we got here last week after whirlwind tour of London. I think our total mileage for walking and running in two days was around forty miles. Uh, so we saw a lot of sights. We didn't really stop at many, but we saw a whole lot. And yeah, last week or last weekend was the World Cup in Denmark. So we were there supporting our friend and I guess team teammate or rider for the team we work with, Aspire Racing, Ellen Noble. Uh, and it was a pretty fun weekend. Denmark was pretty crazy. I've I've only seen Gloucester have their race on the water like Denmark did, but there was there was ocean spray. There, yeah, it was quite good. Oh, Windsurfers. I, I was in the pits and I got into a mechanic selfie with the the ocean sort of tumbling behind us. It was quite scenic, and you know I was in there with Scott Kelly, who's been on the podcast talking about cyclocross and sort of youth development, uh, as well as Gary Wolf and uh, the stands mechanic Drew. Uh, so yeah, it was. Drew has been part of our hashtag staff shuffle a lot of these race weekends. That's true. Drew comes for some runs. Yeah, the staff shuffle might actually be my favorite part of cyclocross season now that I'm not racing. It's a bunch of the mechanics, and I guess I'm kind of a almost mechanic. They let me in sometimes. I mean, that's my role. Uh, back off. I'm the, I'm the almost mechanic. <laughs> You're the almost mechanic? All right, well, since I'm the one that organizes the staff shuffle most days, they have to let me in. Um, well, and the staff shuffle is really cool. You know, we're talking, today we're going to talk a lot about off-season and movement and, you know, with my clientele, you know, the busy people who are, you know, they're endurance athletes, but they're also people with busy jobs and stuff. Um, we're often talking about the social element of, of sport, of movement, of life, but then also this, like, you know, trying to behavior change, right, and do things together and stuff. So, you know, us walking is something that we do for our, you know, our relationship time, not, not our sexy time, but Ugh. you know, our, our time that we spend together, you know, maybe without phones being so obvious or computers in front of us. And so the staff shuffle is just this really fun way that we all get to get out and, you know, chat about stuff and, you know, it kind of sets the tone for a much happier day. And I think in the U.S., when half of us are then in the pit later in the race, it kind of engenders a bit of community. The fact that we've all been hanging out and sweating together a little bit yeah and i think you know it, it's that social sort of group right where if it's happening you know one of us you know one of the you know teams or whatever has had a late night or you know they've had you know they've been up all night working on bikes or you know something like that late athlete pickup so you know inevitably one of us uh is not really wanting to go and do anything but you know the reality is 
it it's good and it you feel better afterwards and so for me I, I find that like social like finding that you know group of people to sort of keep things moving ahead and a bit of activity and it doesn't have to be it, we're never really racing too much there's sometimes too much there's been a few casualties to the the, the event but mostly it's just sort of casual chatting as we run around you know and tour you know, the local subdivision or the race site or whatever. I'm not going to lie. Half the time it's that chatting where everyone is secretly dying, but they're going to pretend they can totally have a conversation. Right. But it's super fun. I really like it. And I mean, we've actually been talking a whole lot about tribes and community and that kind of stuff lately, whether it's been in, you know, podcasts that we've been listening to or books or just in terms of thinking about what we're going to do next year and kind of our broader goals for the next few years and community comes into it an awful lot. So even I guess when we're on the road and traveling and between a ton of different countries and states and whatever, having sort of that little staff community has been a really Mm -hmm. kind of nice thing to look forward to. Well, we see that in cycling too, that, you know, people get so focused on that wattage number or, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to talk a lot about trainers and indoor training today. Um, But that's really not, you know, if you listen to our last episode with uh, Katerina, you know, talking about why she keeps racing and, you know, it's never really about that result. That result, you know, only lasts for that one moment and it feels good you know, good to win or, or do well or have your best power number on Zwift or whatever. But that shouldn't be the main driving force, right? We all want to get better. But, you know, so for us having, you know, the this little group run or, or something like that that's enjoyable and accomplishes a lot of things all at once, that, um, you know, is pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. So with that said, let's dive in. Our first two questions are kind of going back to some of the weight training stuff that we've talked about. Um, Joel asked us, he says this is an interesting question. Uh, does breaking up a workout of say like a hundred crunches or a hundred pushups over an entire day have less benefits than doing them in a single setting? So can I, can I jump in first with my thoughts? Sure. I'm of two minds on this. So, and I think we both kind of are, but for me, it's whichever one you're going to do is ultimately going to be the right answer. Um, I mean, if you are willing to bang out 100 push-ups in the morning, probably not all at once. It might take you a couple of rest breaks or whatever. If you can get them all done in the morning, right when you wake up or whatever, and that's going to get them done, great. If you're actually going to take 10 breaks during the day to do 10 push-ups, I think that's freaking awesome as well. And I think both of them have benefits. I mean, both of them are going to make you better at doing push-ups, but doing 100 at once is going to be sort of a nice, like, kick to your metabolism once during the day, the 10 throughout, like 10, 10 times throughout the day, say, is going to be good because your form is going to stay much better because it's pretty, I mean, okay, it's sort of easy to do 10 of any exercise versus 100. By the end of 100 push-ups, unless you're like a world-class push-up artist, uh, your form is going to be faded. But if you just do 10 once an hour for 10 hours, you're going to have 10 really great push-ups each time. But it's a big question of whether you're actually going to do them. And I think it's nice, even in terms of like taking a break throughout your day, doing that like one minute of workout every hour is one of those things that every, you know, fitness expert recommends doing at the office. Brandon Olin mentions it in our episode with him talking about uh, office mobility and stuff. So I think that's, to me, I would probably rather do 
them over the course of a day. And I think that ultimately would be the best benefit. But I do think that's really hard to commit to and actually make sure it happens. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I think you covered a lot of it there. But, um, you know, it always depends who you are and, and what your goal is. You know, so whenever you hear anything on the news or, you know, a headline, nothing's good or bad. You know, Greg Lehman talked about doing, that was two or three episodes ago. So on our backflips and back pain uh, episode with Greg, which is a not really, entirely related. Um, well, I mean, he talked about how it was related, right? And so he did his undergraduate with Stu McGill, which if you go into, you know, a gym and they're not doing crunches and stuff, it's usually because they've been influenced by Stu McGill. And so Greg has written a ton about, you know, crunches and when he was, you know, younger and, you know, less or more sure of himself as you get older and know more about things, you tend to doubt yourself more and because you know what you don't know. Whew, that um, was a confusing sentence right well, there. Well, that's what happens. You get jaded and everything else. But the point being, Greg used to say, you know, sit-ups were, were more bad and maybe related to back pain because of the Stu McGill research where they took pig spines and bent them a million times and they broke. So if you did a million pull-ups in a couple of years, then your back might break as well. We might scare you. Pull-ups? Um, crunches. Crunches. Um, so all that to say, now Greg does sit-ups and variants of flexion, spinal flexion, to prepare for backflips and gymnastics where sit-ups are done and hollow rocks are done and flexion-based positions are held all the time. Um, so all that to say nothing's good or bad. It depends what your goals are and how you're going to approach it. Um, so that actually leads to another good point is, yeah, why are you doing 100 crunches, which I guess is ultimately the point you were just trying to make. But yeah, it's not really whether well, you're we're talking doing them. pushups, right? Well, I said crunches or pushups. He said crunches in the original uh, thing. Okay. I'm just adding another exercise. Well, so they're, I guess... they're really easy to approach. But yeah, I mean, you might want to. And I think that was that would be what Greg would say, too. Like he's preparing so that he doesn't, you know, rip his, you know, get back pain or rip his abdominals out doing backflips or something. It's conditioning for that sport. So you do want to have a goal in mind because you want to go and do something cool. So, I mean, it, that goal may be a six pack. I talked in the last couple episodes about my ab roller and, um, you know, you certainly could do. Do not do 100 ab rolls. No. Um, so I'm trying to go. So it depends what your goals are and who you are. So if you have back pain, I would not start with sit-ups or crunches. Um, not to say that you couldn't someday get there, but I wouldn't start there. Um, as to whether you're better to do a hundred at once or throughout the day, Molly's point of what is the behavior you're going to do is important. I had a good block here where I was going to the gym three days a week or more, I think four days a week, a bunch of the weeks, um, you know, so my motivation to do a bunch throughout the day was lower, but I was getting a bunch of those key movements in in that hour at the gym. Um, now that we're traveling, I'm doing our 10-minute morning core uh, every day, and I'm motivated for that. And, you know, I'll make progress in those push-ups. I'm trying to get to Jeff Kabush's cyclocross challenge so I can do a, a, a like rap battle-styled response to his, his beer drinking and, and push-ups. Uh, so that's my main goal at the moment. So all that to say, I think it, it really depends. If your goal is just to do 50 push-ups or whatever it is with crunches, like hit a military sort of SEAL-based benchmark with sit-ups or crunches, that's great. And you have that goal. And I think if you can sprinkle those throughout the day, that's great. Um, you'll see some benefit. And if you can do one targeted effort in the morning or something or before your ride, then that's going to be great. I, I think the only time it becomes, you know, you definitely would want to do one or the other 
is if you have a goal that you know you've sort of plateaued maybe with the sprinkling it through the day and now you've decided you want to add mass or or get stronger with a, a bench press or um, you know, you want to do way more pull-ups because you're definitely going to plateau without getting that, you know, standardized strength training. Like strength training works, external loads work. Um, so I think that's where it's maybe even a good way to start into strength training. And then if you find like, yeah, I want to make more progress with these push-ups, um, you know, you may find that you have to put in a bit more targeted effort once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a concept that you might find interesting about that sprinkling it through the day called grease the groove. And if you Google that, you should find it, but uh, Pavel uh, Tatsunui, uh, which is very hard to spell, uh, but he's sort of the Russian kettlebell guy, and he he has popularized this idea of greasing the groove, so doing pull-ups throughout the day and stuff, so you'll see that linked and stuff, and so you may want to just sort of research that and how that was pretty popular in Russian training. Nice. Um, And then actually, kind of my follow-up question to that is, if you were to pick a workout or strength training move that you would do every single day, whether it's the 100 or 10, 10 times, what would you do? Mm. Probably lunges with my arms over my head. That would be probably what I would pick right now. I think that accomplishes a lot of things. Get your arms over your head and opens your hips and single leg stance and balance. And um, We talked about lunges with uh, the, Jacques ma- Devor. the maximum sustained power. So think that transfers pretty well it keeps you conditioned if you were like going to start just randomly start running or you know it, it's not dissimilar from cycling obviously it's in Jacques thing um yeah, yeah I don't know and you can do it on walking to the kitchen or you know walking down the road or something in an airport they won't think you're too crazy well I mean you could always do it like on the spot too like behind you know hiding or yeah something. exactly I think for me planks are the the way I go but I'm just partial to them i i mean at home i do pull-ups like that's because we have our little door frame pull-up bar so that's definitely like i'll throw out you know five to ten and you know just sprinkle that through the the day so by the end of the day hopefully you know i've had 50 or something like that yeah i'm just a fan of planks i feel like you can't beat them for core stability and yeah it's kind of an all-over burn especially upper body i feel like i would think about it more like with this stuff especially the sprinkling through you're doing it for skill though right so that's where the pull-ups and stuff there's a big element of sure you're you're getting strength from it core from it conditioning from it but think about all of it like even a push-up like so few people can do a really really well done push-up so you're just practicing you know getting to that plank and keeping everything tight while you push against an external load. And that's going to transfer to cycling. Um, It's going to transfer to so many different things once you can hold that position and push. I feel like that just intimated that I'm bad at push-ups. I'm not bad at push-ups. I'm actually pretty good at them. I don't think I was talking about you. Just saying. Just wanted to put that out there. Okay, next question. Um, A friend asked... Uh, are there any online subscription services? Does this mean that you're asking? No. Oh, okay. Uh, for functional strength training. So she's thinking something that's like uh, jazz yoga, uh, of whom we've had the founder of on the podcast, Aaron Taylor, one of our earlier episodes, actually, mm-hmm. or Yoga Glow, which is actually the subscription service I've been using lately. Uh, so basically those are uh, laptop-based or iPad or iPhone-based subscription services where for, you know, between 10 and 20 bucks a month, you're getting access to just tons of videos. I think Jazz Yoga is over 300 and Yoga Glow is over 4,000. Um, it's a little more expensive, though. 
so yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And to be honest, I haven't done a ton of, I've done a bunch of research since we got asked that question, but I haven't gotten to try any of them. Um, the one that I would recommend right now though is Swerkit. It's an app um, and I only know it because uh, mountain bike Olympic bronze medalist Catherine Pendrel swears by it. Uh, it's all functional, uh, no weights involved, just body weight training, and you can choose from a bunch of different classes and stuff. Um, it's not quite as video-based as Jazz Yoga or Yoga Glow are, but it is a really good way to get a bunch of different workouts in there. Yeah, there's another one... I think it's called Exos. Just let me search it here. And Exos is pretty sweet. They used to be called something else, and I can't recall what it is. And I don't know if they've changed or not. Now, did they have video subscriptions? or? Yeah, you're like following... Like, subscription's a loose term. Like, if someone wants just... Like, they want a routine to do, right? So it gives you... Like, it asks you a bunch of questions. Sport, you know, do you want to lose weight? Do you want to gain strength? Um... And male, female, how big are you? How small are you? Um, and then it tries, it builds a plan and you, it has like videos that you follow in a similar manner. Now, I don't know that it would put it through like a yoga routine style that like flows you through it. Um, but there are videos that sort of click through if I remember right. Okay. So we'll link to both of those in the show notes, but they're both worth checking out for sure. Um, next question. I can't believe how unfit I am after using a smart trainer compared to riding outside. What's wrong with me? It's smart trainer season! Yeah, so we, we have one about running today, um, and we'll probably talk about cross-training too. Um, but riding the trainer is going to be different. It's completely different than outside, so don't expect it to be the same. The wattage will be different if you're measuring with your, your trainer wattage versus your, you know, your, your bicycle wattage, your power meter wattage it's gonna read different it's fine so it's a lot of it is just you know for many of us it's the off season you know you're gonna hopefully be a little less fit than you were in july or august when you you peaked um you know and, and it's it's nice sometimes you don't have to push quite as hard and heart rate goes up nice and easy so just ease into it He's into it. I think uh, to the point of smart trainers, the biggest mistakes that I see are people don't adjust their threshold or don't have them set. So we've talked a bit about threshold in the past, but a lot of people believe that it's the 20 minute TT wattage. So a lot of tests, we will do our FTP test in Zwift or trainer road or whatever, and they'll get this number. And the problem is if you just put it in, that number is going to be really high. And then all the workouts are based off of that number as a percentage. So if I had a 300 watt 20 minute and I put that in, I what I should be putting in is probably like 270 as a rough X estimate, just because it's usually somewhere between sort of 5 and 50%. We know it's lower anyhow. It doesn't even really matter how much lower. It's going to vary depending on the person. If you're a sprinter... You know, it might be a lot lower if you're like an endurance specialist and you can go really hard for three or four, nine hours. You might have a really high, like your 60 might not be a lot different, but your sprint might suck. So that's where those percentages and that variance comes from. So I usually go on the low end. And if you're 
decent, you know, you understand the smart turn, you should be able to trim that up or down if your perceived exertion or your heart rate aren't sort of in the expected ranges. And so what the, the secret to riding the trainer is like, we usually would just shift if it wasn't quite right for that day. But now with the smart trainers, they're telling you that you should do 300 watts and now you're crumbling. So the, the thing you got to do is just always step back. And if you're thinking, I should do this, ask yourself, well, if it was five or 10 watts easier, could I get through it and then sort it out later? You know, why this was, was off, right? Um, and so that's my frustration is that we used to just shift and, and get the workout done. And now, you know, we have to program a computer before we can actually get on our bike to do our one hour, you know, our 30 minute workout. That's it. We're going back to magnetic trainers. So don't underestimate manual mode, but I am a little jaded, like I say, as, as we go on. So just make sure your threshold set conservatively, I would say, and don't be scared to trim it down a little bit or, you know, go into that manual mode and, and just get through it and then sort it out later. Um, I'm trying to think what other sort of, do you have any questions around smart trainers? Uh, yeah. Anything over like a two hour ride. Oh yeah. So the other thing you can do is I don't have people do a lot over 90. Cause like, I remember a sweet spot for gains and you could always go for a walk after. I remember the marathon trainer sessions I did when I was prepping for my first Ironman. Well, they were useless. Like. Yeah, I mean, there's people that, like, if your Ironman's in, like, March, and, you know, if that's the specificity you need, you know, and and you have to stay inside, and you have to stay in, you know, this region where you can't ride outside or go on, you know, some sort of training camp, you know, sometimes we just get ourselves into predicaments. Uh, You know, I was doing a once every, I think it was once every week, it might have been once every 10 days, uh, two years ago, or three years ago, we stayed home. And I knew I was going down to this training camp um, in California, and there's going to be climbs, and there was going to be, um, you know, big four to six hour days. And so I had been doing a lot of work on the skis and snowshoeing and riding outside, but not a lot in that range. So once a week, I would just get a bunch of good music and a couple podcasts and a couple YouTube videos, and I would just knuckle down. I'd get on the trainer at 8 a.m., and I'd ride till noon or whatever it was. Um, and I get that four hour ride in. And so what I give that to most people or suggest that's a good idea, probably not, but it gave me that big, like caloric burn without right. stressing over where I was going to go. Uh, it got my butt ready for the saddle. It did a lot of things, but most people just aren't doing that. When would you tell someone to get off the trainer? Like, are there any... Yeah, and so that's the I'm interesting thinking, point, too. For yeah. me, like, during the Ironman thing, like, I could go three hours, even four hours, and, like, have reasonable form and, like, be still doing okay. But by hours five and six in mine, I was pretty much sitting upright, like, spinning and, like, eating a yeah, pizza. Yeah, so don't do that. Yeah. Um, if you can't keep your hands on the bars, I would get off. Uh, your form's just horrible then, right? Like, you've you've lost that. So then, to me, that's, you know, that's a great point to get off. If you're finding saddle discomfort like if you're hitting a limiter a postural limiter in your back um to me that's just you know you can start working on that like that's a goal start progressing that how long can you ride you know without getting uncomfortable and and figure out tweaking that but oh no i got off the trainer my workout wasn't done what do i do now well yeah so that's a couple of the notes is you can definitely combine workouts like we used to always do like 30 minutes you know ramp up on the trainer then go out and cross-country ski or run or snowshoe um, you know, and you can run in the city and hopefully even building that, or we'll talk about that in a bit, how you can build up if you need to. 
Um, and then, you know, 30 to 45 to 60 minute run and then come in and ride for 30 minutes. And that's a two hour workout. Right. And that's, that's easy, you know, because mm-hmm. the last 30 minutes of a workout's easy. So if you know, you just have to ride for 30 minutes, like that's, that's no brainer. Um, What's the ratio if you, if you were saying someone who's going to be racing bikes, like bikes are their primary thing. What is your ratio of like cross training to trainer riding in the winter? What's kind of the ideal? Cause I'm the one that's tempted to just not even get on a trainer mm-hmm. and completely skip bike specific. I mean, a lot of people used to do that, you know, in, in Canada, that's huge. And in Europe, like a lot of those, like Christoph Souser and some of those guys, like, I think it was Christoph Souser, or maybe it was Julian Absalom, but like a lot of those people who were like famed in the, back in the day, used to do months of, of just cross-country skiing, you know, maybe a little bit of maintenance on the trainer for pedal stroke and stuff. But, you know, that base one, two, or that, you know, December, January, maybe February, um, you know, very minimal. And, and there's a lot of people I know still who, who don't do a ton. You know, if they're in a place where the skiing's great or they're, in you know, in that skiing community or they race skis maybe even – um, you know, they're, they're, that's what they do. And so I don't, I don't really think you need to do a ton. I think when you're very good at cycling, you could probably even question it more in some ways. Cause right. like, you're not, how much benefit are you getting from more repetition, uh, versus just maintaining it once or twice a week, maybe mm-hmm. it's hard to say. And, and you know, the, the reason people, well, I keep coming back to skiing, but that could be pole running or, you know, maybe rowing or, or something like that too, but where you're using more muscle mass is that's really challenging your heart, right? So the question is when we used to do more cross country, sorry, more cross training, um, and now versus going and riding year round as a lot of professionals do, or maybe even, you know, with Zwift and stuff, maybe a lot of amateurs are even only riding, right? So we're only sitting hunched over on a bike. The question is if we only are working those leg muscles, it is that challenging the heart to the same, you know, yearly level that we would if we were doing cross training, you know, running even because we have to support our posture and, and sort of go around. It's harder for the heart. Right. Um, and skiing, certainly you see that huge oxygen cost, the huge energy cost from using your arms and your legs. Right. So that's why the high VO twos that we see in skiing. So that's a long rambling way to say that, like, I, I think there's definitely benefit. And if you can stay outside and do stuff, then I would stay off the trainer and just ease into your biking in the March and April. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I think the last question on the topic of trainers is, do you need a smart trainer? I mean, I think a lot of our friends and I mean, a lot of your clientele has gravitated towards that. But I mean, is there something, you know, bad about if I was to just use my old, you know, $100 Magnavox? Um, I mean, I really like my kicker, but I don't use most of the features like it just feels like riding on the road. And if you've ever ridden an old mag trainer, um, you know, it feels like riding almost in like sand or mud the entire time, right? Like that wheel stops immediately when you stop pedaling. Hey, cyclocross style. Well, and so the question is, is that even a good stimulus, right? You know, in our seasonal, you know, stimuli that we get, was that old, like grinding away on that trainer for an hour 
you know, does that teach us, you know, good pedal stroke, you know, and riding in mud and sand and lower RPM maybe? I miss the days of like yelling for my dad to come into the room to change like the resistance on my trainer because I didn't want to get off and stop pedaling. So you'd have to back it off for me. Yeah. So that's another point. We'll come back to that in a second. I don't, I don't think there is. And so I had a couple of good conversations with clients who are sort of, you know, they, they have so much money in the cycling budget and they're like, well, I could get a new trainer or I could get like a fat bike, you know, and they're in an area that's really good for fat biking. And I was of the opinion that, well, your trainer works, you know, I just wouldn't. Man, remember when Cyclops trainers were like, the most baller trainer the fluid, that one the could Cyclops get. Fluid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, and they've progressed too. They have a better, you know, the the kicker I like because it has that big flywheel, so you have more inertia. So when you stop pedaling, the, the trainer keeps rolling like it would on the road if you stopped. Right, you probably have, you know, a hundred meters. It keeps rolling. So that's what the that's where that road like feel comes from. Um, and I think they've improved some of those flywheels on the fluid trainers too, and just sort of how they are. Uh, how the the resistance is presented. Um, so to your point, uh, I don't know if I have anything else on on that. No, nope, I think should, that's good. It's personal preference. I mean, if you have to ride inside because you ride at four in the morning or you know, nine p.m., like I, I'm not against Zwift. You can. I, I've said to a few clients, like I'm not really so concerned about what you look at as long as the work is there and we're not losing time to you know you quitting a workout because something went awry in the computer system. Or, you know, losing the data because of the computer system or losing 20 minutes to computer programming because of the computer system. So, you know, I would just turn my podcasts on my headphones and jump on my trainer and, and get it done. But not everyone has that mindset, right? Um, so you can get off your bike too. So if you were going to do a two-hour ride, like the push-up, our previous question was, grease in the groove do 10 push-ups every 10 15 minutes and i guarantee you it will completely change your because you have these little chunks right and so the key to doing even when i was doing those four hour workouts is i would chunk it and i would be off every 10 minutes and i do you know my lunges or push-ups you can alternate them you know every 30 minutes you go down to the refill your bottle or something Uh, and people are like well i can't get off but what do you do outside like i just looked at a client's season from last year and we're going to work on this but he had 20% of his time was coasting. So I think he rode 600 hours and I don't, I'm not that good at math, but it's a lot of coasting. That's like 120 hours. Is that true? 20%. Yeah. 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 So that's very common that, you know, especially if you live in the city or something like that, but we coast a lot. If you're a mountain biker, you coast a lot. It's not really that irregular, but, um, yeah. Hopping off the trainer is nothing. So it's nice on the trainer. You don't have that coasting time. That's, that's easy to fix on the trainer, but yeah. you, you can also take a break here and there. Right. So especially if you're going to do a 90 or 120, like get off periodically and, you know, stretch those hips with a couple lunges and, and jump back on. Don't, yeah. don't, you don't need to have lunch, but hop back on. Uh, now that you said lunch, I do want to bring up one last thing about trainers and that's trainer nutrition. I think it's so easy to neglect hydration in particular when it comes to riding the trainer. And funny enough, you're probably sweating more than like when riding the trainer than you do outside in some cases. So just sort of a reminder that, you know, you don't really need to eat a gel on the trainer since you are right by your refrigerator. You can maybe go for a more whole food based option or just not eat. 
but do make sure you're drinking if you're riding for, you know, more than an hour. I was lucky. I had a guy, one of the older guys in the club when I was younger, I was putting huge hours on my rollers, which are also awesome if you haven't used rollers. The Cyclops <laughs> rollers or the Kreitler rollers are my favorite, but there's some cool ones now with guards, but basically they're like... Do you guys have beer store with rollers? I guess our beer store is just has the rollers. But anyhow, they have like these rollers that rolling pins that you ride on and you have to balance. And that also makes two hour rides way easier. All that to say, where was I? Nutrition. Right. I used to use orange slices. Yeah. So I'd have like maybe two oranges or something. It's not really that much, but, um, and I'd definitely supplement with that. And orange slices are just so good. Yeah, so I just slice an orange into fours and just have, you know, one every, I don't know how long I'd have it, 15 minutes, say. Um, and you get that nice sort of citrus taste. And mm-hmm. It's delicious. Yeah, so just don't neglect that. Oh, just I didn't tell my story. Yeah. Yeah, so the old guy in the club told me to be careful because I was riding my rollers. Um, and he said that I was going to sweat out all my salts. And so his thing was that, like, if you're sweating a ton, then you're going to. S- obviously sweat a ton and then you're going to end up with electrolytes. So I think you can get around that. You just add some salt to your, your food and add salt to your water, but um, it definitely an important consideration. Um, and I think the other thing that one of the most common reasons people fail in hard intervals and tests and stuff on the trainer is their fan is either not in existence or it's just like a joke fan. So you need to be like really cold. So I like to see like you barely need a towel unless you're like full out maxing out. And I have like a tendency to really rub my nose and stuff. So like it's it's hard for me not to wipe my face with a towel. But that's what you want like is a fan so that it's like outside. Like outside you don't need a towel. So if you're going to compare yourself to outside, you don't want a towel. Right, so you can use a towel. I'm not saying don't use a towel, but you shouldn't need the towel like constantly. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That does. Right, so the power is different. You can't stand up really inside. The cooling's different. There's no inertia, minimal inertia. The kicker's better for inertia. Um, the bike's locked in the vertical plane. So there's a lot of differences. So I think to sum this up, when you're riding indoors, just treat it like you would running or something. Like it's it's just different. Also, still take off your freaking chamois as soon as you're done with your workout. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So next question is, uh, we've talked a bunch about cycling and running, but we had a question. uh, There's one cyclocrosser who says he's planning on doing more running stuff in the off season. He's a competitive mountain and cross racer, and he's wondering the best practices to take with getting started running again. Uh, He used to run. He was a national track runner many years ago, and he'd like to get back into it, but with minimal pain and suffering. Uh, He says, thanks, and keep up the great podcasting. Yay. Thanks for the question. This is actually one that we we hear hotly debated between both amateur and professional racers alike. Well, I mean, if you look at it, should he run, it's hotly debated. Okay, that's... Well, no, I'd say even how one would run is also equally debated, because we know a fair amount of pros who will, you know, run in training on occasion, like, with their bikes. We know some pros that will do short runs. We know some pros that actually just really enjoy running, so they do longer runs. We know ones who will do hard runs. We know ones who do easy ones. It's sort of like a Dr. Seuss book of how pros run. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think our consummate athlete uh, official stance would be that you should be able to run. Yes. Uh, I like the 5K to 5-mile duration as a goal. 
because that leaves you open to do a lot of things without hurting yourself. So in the off season, kind of getting to that point where like 5k, five miles, yeah. whichever is like So the easy. standard cyclist approach is to run 5k's, 10k, 10k's, 15k's, half marathon. Um, because right now you can do that from a fitness perspective. So you have your, your, you know, 90 minutes, two hours, three hour fitness. So you just do that running. And then you can't walk for days. If you're a 40 plus male, you may have blown your Achilles tendon and, you know, either can't walk or now going to the hospital. Um, So you need to ease into it and it's going to take time. So we talked with Greg Lehman about running. Uh, We talked about that tendon ligament sort of adaptation period and how it's a lot longer than it is for the muscles or for your fitness. So your fitness and your muscles are going to get much stronger or already are much stronger than those tendons and ligaments so the injury risk is very high this is similar we talked to leslie timms and who else did we talk to rock about rock climbing i think leslie was the only rock climber we've oh and greg we talked to greg that was how we got onto the tendon ligament but in rock climbers you'll see the hands and the finger muscles uh, they're going to adapt and your arms are going to adapt your technique is going to adapt your fitness for rock climbing are going to adapt but then you'll get an injury in that biceps tendon or you'll get an injury in, you know, something in your wrist or fingers or, you know, you'll blow a finger. Um, you know, just that grip is always going to be a limiter. So you have to let those ligaments and tendons adapt. So the question is how he, he's not asking why or should he do it? He's going to do it. Um, but he'd like to without pain and suffering. Yeah. And I mean, this relates to our last question. If you have to ride the trainer, if you can run, this is an asset. And it really does minimize pain and suffering. <laughs> and, if, and if you're a business person traveling, like I wish all my business people, clients would run, but many of them do not maintain it. So we can't use it when they're away. But I mean, I don't know if I could still race and train at the level I do if I couldn't run to sort of maintain and and that's partially mental i would say even but you know it, it's an asset because you basically need nothing to do it so how would you start uh i would start with the classic walk run approach actually i mean honestly i would first start with walking if we were talking about someone completely unfit but mm-hmm. since we're talking about a you know former runner and current competitive cyclist the uh, the one-to-one, one minute on, one minute off. We've talked about this before, I probably on the show at length, but, you know, walk for a minute, run for a minute, walk for a minute, run for a minute. Do it for, you know, sub-30 minutes the first time. Um, and then, you know, gradually progress up. So it's a minute and a half that you're running and 30 seconds that you're walking. And if you can do that where you're not feeling like garbage for the rest of the day or the next day, that's great. Just keep lowering that walk time. Yep. And it's very hard to do because you're, we're all used to that trainer mindset where we need to be punching ourselves in the face the entire time we exercise. But, you know, again, it's base, base time. You know, you're just easing into fitness. So, yeah. you know, I would even start, you know, if you have dogs, this is easy. If you have kids, this is pretty easy. You know, go for a 30-minute walk and just, you know, when, when that strikes you, aim for, say, five efforts of 30 seconds and just run whatever feels natural. No heart rate. Don't worry about the pace. Don't get your Garmin out and try and calibrate it and do computer programming. Just run to a flagpole and just run to it naturally. 
30 seconds, you know, give or take. And then next time in that 30 minute walk, do six or seven of these, these little short runs. And soon you'll find that you can then run, you know, maybe a minute, you know, it feels more natural. You don't feel as winded or your, your calves are a little better. And your dog will be in great shape too. Well, your dog's going to love it. Right. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's how I would do it is, and that's how I've done it in the past too, is just, and, and when you talk about greasing the groove, like again, you're, you're, we could even take that running those 30 second efforts and park at the back of the parking lot and run into the store. You, you know, look like a maniac doing that, but sure. I don't know. I guess I, I've never stressed about it, but I'm pretty weird, I guess. But that's true. Yeah, I mean, just think, what could you do with just short runs throughout the day, right? Just jog. You know, you're just practicing those little. You know, and if we're talking about cyclocross, you know, it's really like ten, maybe a twenty second sort of off bike period. Yeah, and I'll actually go back to our first question and say like. If that all sounds pretty, like, just entirely too easy and you're like, ugh, I don't want to do this at all, it's not hardcore enough, you can kind of drop some of those, like, set of 10 push-ups, set of 10 air squats in following your, you know, 30 seconds or a minute of running in those cases. Sure. Kind of add in some of that functional strength Well, if you're in the gym, I mean, that's an easy place to... You know, we have a, a building at our gym, and so often we'll do one lap around the building, you know, as part of warm up, as part of a circuit at the end or something. Um, so it might be something like, you know, five, I'm trying to think what we do five pull ups, 10 push ups, 15 little, you know, unweighted air squats. And then you could run around the building, you know, 400 meters, 200 meters, 30 seconds, one minute, that type of thing. And so that way you're getting some conditioning training, some strength training, and then sprinkling in some run technique training. Um, but again, I would think about it as a skill, running as a skill, not, you know, a right that we've earned by being human. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I didn't invent that, but... Very, very well-timed, though. Yeah. So, and then, I mean, remind us, actually, if you can't, if you do start running, we'd love to hear back from you after a few months of this and as we're starting to ramp up towards next cross season, because then we can dive into how to turn that, like, slower more casual walking or running into you know more functional running force like specific to cyclocross mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but we won't tackle that this time yeah i mean i would just try and get stuff in the bank right yeah it's just if you can do one kilometer today and you survive till next year you'll be running full marathons if you don't get injured you'll be fine if that's your goal or really fast 5ks which are cooler i think but totally all right next and final question um in the off season what are things that you can be doing above and beyond strictly maintenance so i mean obviously we just mentioned that running um but i really like this question because i've never really seen the off season as just like a maintenance thing um maybe because personally like it happens to be around the time when new year's resolutions get made so it's really hard to be in like maintenance phase when everyone around you is suddenly starting these crazy like gym regimens and stuff Mm -hmm. so you know if i come to you and say i you know want to do my maintenance and i want to be back for you know what do they mean by maintenance the maintenance of like spin on the trainer like light run well i wonder maybe gain a pound or two yeah i wonder if that's a place to start like the idea of off season is to not maintain 
Right. Right. So that's, I think, sometimes the fear. And I've been guilty. I would say this probably cost me the last couple percent that I needed to be a much better elite athlete. Fourth place was so close. <sighs> um, but I, you, you need to get less fit. And, and that might take the form of, you know, three days, seven days, you know, maybe a 14 day off off period. But I think it's worth differentiating. Like there's off period, off season, off weeks, um, you know, which might be called, uh, I'm trying to remember the key terms here, but uh, like prepper, not preparation, a transition phase is sort of what I'm looking for in Joe Friel type terms. Um, and, and like I say, for most age groupers and people who aren't injured, that's, you know, really that off time away from your bike, you've locked it up away from your main sport, you've locked it up, you know, you're just being a normal person walking around, getting your yearly blood test, that sort of stuff. Um, but then you're getting into the preparation phase or what I would call balance phase, uh, which I think is more, you know, now we're talking the same terms. So this is where we're maybe maintaining, but we're more so we're building back up. So I like the term balance phase only because... Sorry, I want to stop you because I want to ask, does everyone need to have that transition phase where they drop a couple points? Because, I mean, yes, elite racers, obviously. High-level age groupers, totally. But what about people who are, you know, just in this as, like, a lifestyle, staying fit, like, maybe still have an extra 20, 40 pounds that they could lose? Sure. Should they take a transitional phase? Is there well, still value? I get, like, are they competing in something? Like maybe like a Fondo type rider, right? Like, I mean, I would still take a transition, but again, it might be three days where you just don't ride your bike. Again, you can walk and you don't have to gain weight. You right. Just eat responsible or like eat reasonably. Um, eat responsibly. I like that. Well, I was trying not to say that, but uh, there you go. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, I would take an off period. It's worth, it's a mental reset. It, it helps, you know, our bodies, you know, if we've been training consistently, then, you know, there's always these little niggling injuries. So often three days often will be a boost, right? Like in some ways that's like a taper where you end up probably having the best race. So what I'll often do, a lot of athletes will have like some random race after their main race. So in cyclocross, we just went through this in Canada because our season ends earlier than a lot of other places. Um, so we had sort of our provincials and then there was a couple races after. So a lot of those athletes, we actually did our off week and then just on the Sunday of the off week, they just went to that race for fun. And then it's surprising. They end up doing as well, if not better because they're recovered and have no nerves around it. Um, so sometimes it's actually an interesting experiment to just see what happens when you actually like recover and go into things like lower key and not stressed out. Um, so that's maybe an idea for your off week. Um, but anyhow, I like to transition from that, you know, period where we've locked up our, our main sport to a balance phase. And the balance phase can be, again, only a few days or one week, two week, three week, four week or, and longer. And what I like to look at before we progress to like your main sort of general preparation or base phases is how are we doing with balance? So that's where we get the blood work. We look at body composition. This would be a good time to start honing in on any body composition things we need to do. Maybe go see a nutritionist, maybe talk about lifestyle adjustment that we need to do. So this would be a good time to, you know, if we're going to cut coffee or cut out sugar beverages or diet Coke or um, alcohol, anything like that, improve sleep where the training load isn't so high and we don't have goals in the near future. Uh, it's often easier to hone in on some of that lifestyle stuff, um, which is, you know, for a lot of 
busy people, you know, the age groupers, there's usually something in there that we can sort of work on as our main focus. So this balance phase or preparation period is not, you know, we're not moving. It's not that we're not doing anything or not moving forward. It's just our focus is on that all the other stuff. This is also a great time to bank time with your significant other or children. So when you are gone during 100%. race season, and that's you've usually, got some cred in the bank. Yeah, 100%. That's definitely part of it. You know, communicating about what the next season looks like, but then also, you know, scheduling some time like that. You know, getting out and doing these walks and, and things like that. Um, and so we would progress once, you know, things seem decent. You know, the those injuries have been shored up. Um, we've gotten through maybe some basic strength training, you know, a first phase of strength training without, you know, any injuries or, or soreness or major soreness, I should say. Uh, what else do we use in the preparation period? And this would be where we would start into some of that light running and stuff too. And again, because we're not concerned about numbers as much, it's much easier to do this, you know, sort of prepare this preparation period for cross training, prepare our trainer so that we understand how to use it and it's set up and ready to go um you know prepared so we have a bike for winter training prepare you know all our you know do we have a coat you know so there's the equipment side of it too that you know is awesome to get set up in this period where you know the weather's sort of crummy and we don't have huge hours yeah i think the other two training things to look at in this period are the strength and flexibility elements because you actually have i mean a bit of time and also you can make those changes without sacrificing your you know, actual race training or specific training? Well, yeah, I mean, for any athlete, that strength training is going to be important. And just like running, the mistake we make as cyclists or, or endurance athletes is that we go into stuff full gas right off the bat. You know, we're so recovered all of a sudden, but we want to burn this energy so we can have Thanksgiving, you know, treats. So then we go into strength training and just go full gas, lift, you know, max squat the first day. You know, we do some crossfit type metabolic stuff. You know, we run around the building because Peter talked about that, but we run around the building 20 times and, you know, it's slippery slope. So yeah. ease Actually, into it. Yeah. 20, 30 minute, you know, higher rep, lower weight, work on range of motion. To this point, I actually just turned in an article talking about why I think it's super interesting or important cool or important to make resolutions ahead of new year's so i mean during this time you're going to be figuring out what your race season is for next year and all of that but the one of the main reasons i said it's kind of awesome to make those resolutions and do that stuff in like say december 1st is because personal trainers are currently free right now because everyone that started new year's resolutions to get fit last year dropped off in like you mean June. do you mean available or do you mean like no cost i mean available sorry uh, okay but like now would be the best time to make an appointment to go in and get some of those strength training moves actually like taught to you so you can be doing them correctly sure and you know when you're in this slow build prep phase it's a little less annoying to spend an hour going through like one strength move and not feeling like twitchy that you're not loading it with more weight or like maxing out or anything. Right. Yeah. You so. touched on goal setting too. That would be another thing, but like goal setting, you know, not in the sense that like, I just want to do 10 pounds, but like setting out what are those behaviors? So, you know, going to the gym three times a week, um, you know, what, what those actual like day-to-day -day habits or day-to-day -day daily goals are going to look like. 
um, yeah, for sure. Get that in place. Cause that's, you know, it takes a bit of time and some thought and some reflection on what, you know, you did well or not as well last season. Um, that's what I try and do when I have athletes interested in coaching and I'll take them through sort of a intake form that really is trying to take people through that, that process so that they sort of have to reflect, you know, what type of workouts do I like? What ones do I avoid? You know, what were the races I did well in this year? What were the ones I didn't do? What do I want to avoid in the future? Um, you know, these sort of things that sort of just hone in on, you know, well, we want to be this athlete on race day. So what do we need to be every day, right? Or most days, you know, on those key days, what do we need to practice? Um, and then I had one other just like skills. So, you know, I'm obviously interested in bike skills, but that could be skill of the gym. You mentioned getting personal training. It could be, you know, learning to bunny hop now, where if you take a little tumble or, you know, you know, you're not doing those, you know, one hour suffer fest, you're out for one hour playing on your bicycle and having fun, you know, it's not as big a deal. Um, yeah, great point. So I think any sort of skill-based coaching you can do right now is going to be really good. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're going to wrap up on that note, but look later in this week for a special bonus episode. I'm hoping to get it up for Friday. That's going to delve a little bit more into the habits and goal setting and all the fun stuff around that. So over Thanksgiving weekend for you Americans listening, you can really do some deep dive and start thinking about some of that stuff. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next time. Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're, you're undertaking. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health-conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles. Essentially replacing BMI with waist-to-hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds. That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy. So go over to healthiq.com slash pod. And, All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um, they have a bunch of different quizzes on the website, and the website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again, using that link, healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review, and while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.